Hello there, faithful listener. You've tuned in to season seven of the Bible Explained podcast. So make sure to grab your cup of coffee because today we are going to be discussing the book of First Samuel. Well, hello and good morning, faithful listeners. I hope you all had a really fantastic weekend. And for those of you who are new on the podcast, I would like to explain why I call you guys faithful listeners. It was something that I coined three years ago, actually close to four years ago now when I first started the podcast. And I don't know if I coined it, but I thought it up like three or four years ago. And I, I've been doing it ever since my first episode. And the reason I call you guys faithful listeners is not because you are my faithful listeners or that you are the, this podcast faithful listeners, but that you are faithful and that you are listening to the Bible whenever you turn on this podcast. So that's why I call you guys faithful listeners. <laughs> but okay, faithful listeners, let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 today. And it's not a very long portion of scripture. In fact, it's very short, but there's a lot to talk about here. A whole lot, because this is the last mention, I want to say, I think, of the Ark of the Covenant for quite a while. Because this is where the Ark of the Covenant is going to end up staying until David, like 40 years later, ends up retrieving the Ark of the Covenant. So we'll talk about this. And I'll be reading out of the W.E.B. as I always do. But please feel free to grab your version of the Bible that you prefer to read out of. And also grab your cup of coffee on this lovely morning or a cup of tea for those of you who drink tea instead of coffee for whatever reason that you choose to do that. I don't know why, but for some reason, that is your preference. So grab those things and let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel 7 verses 1 through 6. The men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took Yahweh's ark and brought it into Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep Yahweh's ark. From the day that the ark stayed in Kiriath-Jerim, the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented before Yahweh. Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you are returning to Yahweh with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you, and direct your hearts to Yahweh and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtoreth and served Yahweh only. Samuel said, Gather all of Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to Yahweh for you there. They gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before Yahweh and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against Yahweh. Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. So in this tiny little portion that we just read today, 20 years have actually passed from verse one to verse six. <laughs> so a lot can happen in the Bible in a very short period of time. But it says here, that the men of Kiriath-Jerim came to get the Ark of the Covenant. So why did they come to get the Ark of the Covenant? Well, if you guys remember what we read about and chatted about on Wednesday, we mentioned how the Philistines had had the Ark of the Covenant because they captured it in the middle of a battle. And so the Philistines had it for seven months, but because things were not going well for them and God was basically destroying Dagon, their God, as well as bringing this plague onto the Philistines. The Philistines wanted to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. So after about seven months of having it, they bring their philosophers and their thinkers and whoever else together to like discuss how they're going to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. 
So that's exactly what they do. They end up getting rid of the Ark of the Covenant through a miracle, actually. God performed a miracle for them. I'm not going to go back into that. But the Ark of the Covenant is pulled into this area called Beth Shemesh. And that was an Israelite village. And so the people of Beth Shemesh are harvesting their wheat and they look up and they see the Ark of the Covenant on the back of a cart being pulled by two cows. <laughs> and of course, the people of Beth Shemesh are overjoyed because the Ark of the Covenant is back. And that was the symbol of God being with Israel, as well as the Israelites kind of viewing the Ark of the Covenant as a good luck charm to them. So, of course, they were overjoyed to see the Ark of the Covenant back with them. But the Israelites mistreated the Ark of the Covenant and God's law and God immediately. Like the second the cows entered Beth Shemesh, basically the Israelites were already breaking the Old Testament laws. And the first thing they did was sacrificed the two cows as a burnt offering, which wasn't supposed to happen because burnt offerings were supposed to be done in a very specific way at a very specific place. And on top of that, burnt offerings had to be male animals. And obviously cows are female. So that was the first thing they did wrong. They sacrificed a sacrifice to God using the wrong type of sacrifice and also at the wrong place. And then on top of that, they, they put the Ark of the Covenant up on this rock for everybody to view it and potentially touch it and look inside of it. And they're offering like all these sacrifices near it and just being kind of weird. And then, of course, on top of that, the Philistines... The, the five lords of the Philistines, the most powerful Philistines that there were, were watching all of this happening. So they were like a far a ways away viewing everything going on, seeing if the ark made it back home. And they're watching the Israelites act like they act. And so the Israelites, even though they didn't know they were being watched by the Philistines, they were being a terrible example of God to the Philistines. They weren't shining their lights to the Philistines. What ended up happening was the Israelites crossed a line. So they went up to the ark and they were touching it and they opened it up to look inside of it. And that was when God struck 70 men of the Israelites. Now, depending on the version you read, and I didn't actually go into this the other day, it might say in your version, God struck 50,070 men. But if you go back to the Hebrew of that, it's interpreted as out of 50,000 men in Beth Shemesh, 70 of them died because of that. So that's why on Wednesday I mentioned that it was 70 men, not 50,000, 70, just to let you guys know that. But um, we don't know if the Philistines saw that or not, but it's very possible that they did. It's very possible that they saw the Israelites mistreat the Ark of the Covenant and God strikes 70 of the Israelites dead because of that. And if the Philistines did view that, that would show that God does not play favorites because of what had happened in the Philistine territory. And also now what the, the Philistines are viewing in the Israelite territory with the Ark of the Covenant. So after the 70 men died, the people of Beth Shemesh are like, we don't want the Ark of the Covenant here. So they call the people from Kiriath Jerim to come and get it. They're like, we don't want the Ark here. You come and get it. <laughs> And uh, when I was reading Enduring Word, I really love Enduring Word. It's one of my favorite free commentaries. But when I was reading it, uh, David Guzik, the author of Enduring Word, mentioned that it's possible that the people of Beth Shemesh had a bad relationship 
with the people of Kiriath Jearim. And so that's why <laughs> that's why they wanted the Ark of the Covenant to go to Kiriath Jearim because they didn't have a good relationship with them. And it was like, you take the Ark of the Covenant and we'll see what happens to you. <laughs> but we don't know of any stories actually that happened in Kiriath Jearim. Like once the Ark of the Covenant goes there, it kind of just remains there and we don't hear of any stories or really anything happening to anybody in Kiriath Jerim. So if it was a plot of the people of Beth Shemesh to take down the city of Kiriath Jerim using the Ark of the Covenant, it did not work. <laughs> but that's just speculation. All of that speculation. We don't know why the city of Kiriath Jerim was chosen. But one thing we can ask is why did the Ark of the Covenant not go back to Shiloh? Because that was where the Ark of the Covenant was for many, many, many years. It was inside the, the main temple in Shiloh. And that's where it was supposed to be, actually. The Ark of the Covenant was supposed to stay with the temple. But for some reason, the people are shipping it off to Kiriath Jerim instead. And that's what it says in verse one here of what we read today. The men of Kiriath Jerim came and took Yahweh's ark and brought it into Abinadab's house on the hill and then consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep Yahweh's ark. Now, one of the, the reasons why the ark may not have gone back to Shiloh was because it's actually mentioned in Jeremiah chapter seven, verse 14, that Shiloh actually got destroyed, most likely by the Philistines. And it could have been right after they took the Ark of the Covenant. So here's what it says. If you, if you flip over to Jeremiah chapter 7 and read verse 14, this is God talking. He says, therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your ancestors. I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did to your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. So this chapter of Jeremiah takes place well into the future. From what we're talking about today, this is with the second temple and God was sick of every, everything that was going on with the second temple. But the first temple was in Shiloh and that's where it was supposed to be. But clearly something happened to Shiloh and we don't know exactly what, but most likely it was destroyed. So it is possible that the ark had no home because the temple in Shiloh had been destroyed by the time we read First Samuel chapter seven. So that's why maybe the ark ended up going to Kiriath Jerim. And we don't know why Abinadab's house was chosen, but it could have been chosen because it mentions that his house was up on the hill. So maybe because Abinadab's house was the tallest house in that region. That's why the Ark of the Covenant went there. It kind of reminds me of old architecture. Like if you look around um, America, for example, or even Europe, you'll notice that church steeples are often the tallest things in a little village. I actually live close to a little community that's exactly like that. If you drive just a few minutes down the road, you're going to see a tiny little, it's not a village exactly, but a tiny little community. And the one thing you can see above everything else is the steeple to the church. And when churches were being built in America, that was a purposeful design that the church was the tallest thing, the first thing you would see when you entered into the village. 
And I wonder if the same thinking was happening with the Ark of the Covenant because Abinadab's house was up on a hill. Just logically, that's where the Ark of the Covenant should go. Is that the tallest location, the first place everybody could see? And possibly people would come and, you know, worship near the Ark of the Covenant as well, like go up into Abinadab's house. So maybe also Abinadab could have been a very wealthy man and just had a lot of space where the Ark of the Covenant could be kept. And so what ended up happening was the Ark of the Covenant went to this house, Abinadab's, and they ended up consecrating Eliezer, his son, to keep Yahweh's Ark. And we know nothing really about Eliezer as well, but we do know that he became a priest to Yahweh's Ark. We do not know if he was a Levite or not. Potentially he was. I, I would guess he was just because of the importance of having Levites taking care of the Ark. So from that day on, the ark stayed in Kiriath-Jerim, is what it says. And the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after Yahweh. Now, I should mention that just because it mentions 20 years here, that doesn't mean that that was how long in total the ark was at Abinadab's house, because we know the ark was actually at Abinadab's house for 40 years. But it does mean that after 20 years had passed, Israel had fallen so far away from God that they were lamenting, is what it says, after Yahweh. They were in dire straits. If you read other versions of scripture, for example, the NLT, it actually mentions that the Israelites were moaning after God or lamenting after God because it seemed like he had abandoned Israel, meaning that Israel was just being pummeled by the Philistines during this time period. So for 20 whole years, the Israelites fell away from God. The Ark of the Covenant was back in Israelite territory, and yet it still seemed like God had abandoned Israel. And why would that be? Because, you know, the Israelites believed that if the Ark of the Covenant was there with them, that that must mean that God was there with them. So suddenly they don't believe that anymore. They're like, the ark is here, yet God, it seems like, has abandoned us. And now we are introduced to Samuel again, and he explains why this is. It says in verse three, Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, if you are returning to Yahweh with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your hearts to Yahweh and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So there you go. Samuel hit it right on the head. He says, Israel. God hasn't abandoned you. You're worshiping and bowing down before these other gods and then expecting God, Yahweh, to fight your battles for you. And yet you're praying to these other gods. You're using God to get what you want. It's what Samuel says to the Israelites. And he's right. That's exactly what the Israelites were doing. They wanted the benefits of God, but they didn't want to give up their idolatry because their idolatry included many vices that to this day, people still find themselves in. The big one was the idolatry of sex, which I think is very, very prominent in today's culture, obviously. I feel like everybody's talking about sex, what sex they are, what gender they are, what, who they're attracted to. I mean, it's all over the place. And that's what the goddess Ashtoreth was for the Israelite people. The goddess Ashtoreth was the moon goddess. She was the consort of Baal. And a lot of people wonder if Ashtoreth and Asherah 
were the same goddess because a lot of times the two names are uh, intermixed throughout scripture. And most, pe- most people think that, yes, they were the same goddess, just with a slightly different name. Uh, some people aren't so sure, but it doesn't matter. The point is, Ashtoreth was the moon goddess. She was the consort to Baal. And so what that meant was that she was the goddess of sex and fertility. And so people loved Ashtoreth. And you'll notice that people started worshiping Ashtoreth way back in the book of Joshua. And then by the time judges arrived, there was a story about the judge Gideon. Remember him? Where he actually had to break down the Ashtoreth pole that his dad had made in order to serve Yahweh. And so he broke it down and the Israelites in his neighborhood were so angry that he broke down the Ashtoreth pole that they were going to kill him. You can see that the Ashtoreth pole or Ashtoreth as a goddess was a huge vice for Israel, basically from the very beginning. And so Samuel here mentions it again. He's like, you guys are all worshiping Ashtoreth and all the things associated with Ashtoreth worship, which included adultery and sex with prostitutes and also like ritual sex, just very strange things. And so Samuel was telling the people, you, you want God, but you don't want to follow his commands. And so if you want God to help you in battle, because the Philistines are clearly winning, if you want God to help you, you need to get rid of all the Ashtoreth poles. You need to stop worshiping Ashtoreth completely along with Baal. And you need to worship Yahweh is what it says. So here's what it says. If you're returning to Yahweh with all your heart, put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you. It is interesting that he mentions Ashtoreth specifically. And direct your hearts to Yahweh and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. And so that's what the Israelites did. So after 20 years of moaning and groaning and wondering why it seemed like God had abandoned Israel, even though the Ark of the Covenant was back, Israel finally listens to Samuel's words after 20 years took them 20 long years. And this is very common with Israel. We see this happening a lot, especially with the judges, like back in the book of Judges. It would take like 18 to 40 years for the Israelites to figure out that their idol worship wasn't working out for them very well. And so they turned back to God for a little while just to get what they needed from God. And then they'd go straight back to all their idol worship again. And then the cycle would repeat. So once again, that's that's exactly what the Israelites are doing here. So it says, though, that the children of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtoreth and served Yahweh only. So after that happened, after the Israelites were like, we're done with idol worship, we only want Yahweh. Samuel told the Israelites to gather themselves to Mizpah. Now, you might remember Mizpah as being a, a important gathering place for Israelite meetings. And once again, that's what it's being used for here. So Samuel tells all of Israel, all the Israelite people to go to Mizpah and he would pray to Yahweh for the Israelites there. And so it says that they, they went, they gathered to him Mizpah and they drew water and poured it out before Yahweh and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against Yahweh. So the people showed up to Mizpah and they performed this ceremony. So there's fasting involved, which we know that fasting often includes like a heavy heart not eating food because you are very sad over something that you did, almost denying yourself because of something that you did. And then there's a ceremony of water being poured out, which kind of symbolizes your 
your soul being poured out. You are you're sad. You're in mourning. So you're pouring yourself out before Yahweh, basically. So the water is poured out and they're fasting. And so it says they they admitted their sin against Yahweh. And so Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. So Samuel really was a great leader. He was he was a fantastic uh, judge. Out of all the judges we've seen so far, I want to say Samuel was one of the better ones because he really did try to bring the people back to Yahweh. And maybe for 20 years, Samuel was trying to get through to the people, but the people just had to figure it out for themselves. But in the end, they do finally come back to God. And so Samuel, it says at Mizpah, prayed to Yahweh for the people, and then he judged Israel there. And so what that means most likely is that Samuel admitted to God that the people had fault and like judged the people and interceded for the people there at Mizpah. So this is where I'm going to end today. But as always, there's always something we can take from from scripture, no matter what portion we read from, there's always something we can apply to our own lives. So when you look at this portion that we read today, the one thing that jumps out to me is that we cannot follow Yahweh, but also try to appease our own desires for sin at the same time. Just as the people here expected Yahweh to fight for them, but also wanted to cling to their, their sexual immorality and their sexual vices at the same time, Yahweh and sin just do not go hand in hand. You cannot be living a double life. As Jesus says in the New Testament, you cannot serve two masters because either you will hate one and love the other, or you will cling to the one and despise the other. So you cannot serve two masters. You have to choose the one that you are going to serve. So are you going to choose the one that just satisfies a quick vice, a lust that you might have? Or are you going to choose Yahweh, the real God, the God who can truly help you, the only person who can truly give you satisfaction, purpose, and fulfillment in your life. Well, faithful listeners, check out all the links listed in the description of this podcast episode because I do a lot more than just this podcast. I've got the YouTube channel. I've got the website with all the blog posts. I've got the Facebook page. I've got my some of my devotionals up on version. So there's a lot more content that you can get. And if you love this podcast, please rate and review it because that's the best way for a podcast to get shown to new people. It's a very strange and simplistic way that in this modern day, you can evangelize to people is just by rating and reviewing a podcast. And also faithful listeners, if you would like to support this podcast in any way, check me out on coffee. <laughs> Isn't that cute? It's, it's my new page. It's called coffee. You'll, you'll see it linked in the description of the episode. It looks like Ko-Fi, but it's actually pronounced coffee. And I found that absolutely adorable. So I now have a coffee account and you can go over there and you can support the podcast monetarily if you so choose. Faithful listeners, I will see you all tomorrow for an episode out of Acts. And as always, happy listening and God bless. Ooh.